what are the top three trends in healthcare for 2021? We have a very interesting perspective on this from Payman Zand, Vice President of Advisory Services at Cericor. This is Paul Butler, your host, and welcome to the Healthcare Information and Management System Society Southern California podcast, where we explore emerging trends in healthcare information technology and the resulting impact on healthcare business. Hims is a global advisor and thought leader in healthcare and includes over a thousand healthcare organizations and over 80,000 members. Our guest today, Payman Zan, is the Vice President of Advisory Services at Cericor. And prior to Cericor, Payman served as the Vice President of Solution Design at Community Health Systems, who is a regional CIO for Tenant Healthcare, UNC Health, and a partner at Pivot Point Consulting. So Payman also has extensive experience in other industries, including divisional CIO, at the Dow Chemical Company, and he served at the pleasure of Governor John Engler at the state of Michigan. Payman holds a Bachelor of Science degree in uh, computational mathematics with minor in computer science and engineering from Michigan State University and an MBA from the University of Michigan. Payman is a certified healthcare executive through Chime College. Welcome, Payman. It's great to have you. Paul, good to be with you, and thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. And before we get into your view on uh, both the 2020 year we've just had and your top three trends for 2021, I think I think it's going to be fascinating. But before that, I think we need to get into your background a little bit because it is unique and it lends weight to your arguments uh, because you have background both inside and outside of the industry and you've connected with an awful lot of CIOs Um during the last year. So tell us um, a little bit about your background, some of the things you've done and are now doing to influence the conversation, what's happening with you and Chime and the CIO roundtables you conduct. And I appreciate that. I actually started my career, Paul, in healthcare for about 10 years. It was in the academic medical centers, specifically within the Michigan State University campus. I managed, I was a CIO for um, uh, majority of the um, healthcare organizations or healthcare IT organizations we had. I then joined uh, Governor John Angler, not as a civil servant, but he asked me to come in and tackle uh, state's largest projects. These projects range anywhere from 50 million to $500 million in size. And one of my favorites was the uh, eMichigan project, which I led myself, and that was to transition all of state services to online. And uh, so from your driver's license to your, to your um, physician licenses, et cetera, everything went online, campsite reservation, you name it. That was an exciting project. We actually compared ourselves to Amazon's and Yahoo's, not other states. And that's why it was such a successful project. Um, I then went on to work with Dow Chemical as a regional CIO for their specialty chemicals business. Now, Dow is a $70 billion global uh, company. It operates in about 36 different countries. And uh, I learned a lot from my tenure, both at the uh, state as well as at Dow Chemical. In 2009-10 timeframe, I decided to come back to healthcare. And it was really interesting for that 10-15 years that I was gone, the technology and IT specifically hadn't moved that much. So I became really interested in actually being in this back into this industry and, and help as much as I can. And as um, you mentioned, uh, as well, I was with UNC Health, uh, Tenet Health, CHS, and today with Cericor, 
I work with uh, a variety of different uh, organizations and and we work very, very closely with Chime. And we have a CIO cohort group that we uh, meet on a regular basis and talk about major issues. And some of the things we're going to talk about is the result of my meetings with these uh, group of CIOs. So you have um, substantial experience in academics with government, CIO experience in a very large organization outside of healthcare, in within healthcare, and and you have had these other experiences with other CIOs and collaboration. So how are the CIOs managing what's happening this year with the COVID impact? And what are their concerns and top priorities this year during 20, the year we've just, or just wrapping up in 2020? It's interesting, you know, I kind of uh, consider this a transitional year for us, and there's a lot of transitions. Now, when we think about transitions, we think of transitional services agreement that we have under M&A. Well, those are major transitions that are going on. Um, when uh, an organization buys another organization, et cetera. But we also go through these transitions where we it roll out a major program like an EHR or an ERP. So we, we look at this uh, as a transitional year. Take a look at, for example, one of the major uh, projects that came about, which was a remarkable one, was telehealth program. Our CIOs were able to roll out the telehealth program in speeds never seen before. I talked to uh, our parent company, HCA, had rolled out a thousand endpoint devices in the entire 2019. And in the first month of uh, after COVID, we were able to roll out 6,000 devices. So in one month, we did, you know, six times mm -hmm. the amount that we did in 12 months. So this is, these are the scales that we had never seen before. Wow. So what, uh, what are the main strategies you see beyond the immediate COVID response? Because that was really reactive, right? So in your discussions, has, has, have you seen other main issues and main priorities besides getting the telehealth rollout? Because that took all of, yeah, people had to react with, with it like within a few weeks to get those capabilities up and running. What was the follow-on to that in terms of priorities? Well, it's interesting, you know, so I think there's a, uh, there's a couple of things that I should mention also, and to your point, this was a scale they had never seen before. The CIOs uh, remarkably reacted quickly enough and, uh, and were able to roll this out at, at speed never saw, uh, seen before. But I also opened up new shifts in the executive thinking, the CFOs and CEOs thinking, is that if we could roll this out so quickly, can we do this thing to other projects? And there is an inherent danger in that is because we could um, have missed a lot of steps in communications, in setting up proper governance, setting up proper support mechanisms for this. And I think a lot of the CIOs are going back and retrofitting some of that. And this is one of the things we've heard from them is that they are one of the top priorities is actually to go back and retrofit this. But they also realized something else that was really critical. A lot of their systems sometimes have been behind the scenes on-prem in their own data centers. So cloud migration became one of the top priorities that they're, gonna, they're going to concentrate on. Because as they move those systems outside of their data centers, access by patients and other clinicians and physicians and organizations that they need to interact with 
facilitate and they can actually rely on these high reliability and high availability systems uh, that are outside uh, much more in providing those services again think about it this is these are patient engagement systems and they need to be up and running just like your amazon shopping cart is 100 percent up and running so this mm -hmm. is uh, one of the main things that they're, they're, we're seeing um, again, as I mentioned, introducing and supporting these new services, such as telehealth, is a major one. So they're looking at their help, their help desk environment and seeing how they can actually improve that. In fact, we had a call from one of our organizations that asked us, and we provide help desk support for them, level one through three, I think, to them. And they asked us if we could actually expand that help desk to their customers, to their patients. And, uh, and so that's another one that we're seeing. The CIO saw the increase in M&A activities, and I'm going to talk. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later uh, in this podcast. And then finally, we saw IT asset consolidation, application rationalization, and standardization of IT, basically optimizing or getting some of the costs up. The reason they had the added cost of not only telehealth but other programs like managing e-workers, managing all of these employees that are now working remotely, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, uh, projects added to their place while their budgets were cut as a result of uh, revenue uh, cost uh, re reductions, etc. Mm -hmm. So they're getting interested in those um, optimization and reductions uh, within their organization much more than before. So those are the uh, four or five uh, themes we're seeing happening this year, and they're going to continue more on the tactical side of the house into the 2021. Interesting. Okay, so so it was really a kind of a double whammy then because they had to immediately support the virtual care model. And uh, at the same time, they had to uh, support a virtual IT model because they had uh, problems with processes and people and stuff and stuff that used to come in uh, to help support perhaps uh, on-premise systems that they had to get out and support remotely. So you're saying that they were they were hit with some immediate needs, both externally, as I understand it, and internally. And also, if you want to take a third view at it, there were these support systems like help desk and ticketing that needed to be upgraded too in order to handle the additional capabilities. Is that does that sound right? That's exactly right. So they had probably about a ten to fifteen percent increase in a cost of new services that they needed to provide and roughly about a 15 to 20 percent reduction so it was the perfect storm from not having enough money to do what you needed to do to begin with to having to do a lot more and by the way as i mentioned earlier too they had done a they have done a remarkable job of managing both of those so far Right. I was going to ask, I mean, did that get done? Because usually when you try to get, when they, you get told to do more with less, that's a nice uh, saying, but hard to, to achieve. So how did, how did they pull that off? I'm sure there are some CIOs listening that want to know. They, I think in general, they were much more clever about what projects they could delay. And I think they, they had to delay a number of their projects. And I think this actually brought the governance model even more to life or the need for that governance model so they can actually do the proper prioritization. You know, at the end of the day, um, some projects would have to wait and, and would have to be pushed to the future in, in the future. And I think that's exactly what happened. But at the same time, I think this actually helps them in being able to meet some of the future demands, such as uh, helping the population health 
discussions or, or, or the programs that they have uh, move to value-based care. And we'll talk more about those in just a minute. But they, they were much smarter about which projects to actually delay or, or push back. And we've seen some of those uh, for sure. The problem has been, however, that some of the uh, major projects such as the uh, end-of-life systems, such as operating systems or the PCs and servers, et cetera, they cannot take a backseat, and so those still have to be done. And that's where the concentration is, is those uh, four or five items that I, t I talked about and keeping the lights on. Right, right. So so there is a problem now with the clients you've seen, apparently, where they've got this backlog of projects that they've delayed in order to make do with what they had to do, which always seems to be the case, but you're saying it was worse this year. And, um, and so what... So the, the, you've got this, you've got this CIO's backlog, plus you have new initiatives because you've got this emerging model of care, right? You don't, you have, um, uh, they, it's not just telehealth, it's all the surrounding support systems and the whole virtual business model that would need uh, to emerge to support that, right? Continuum of care, patient engagement, advanced analytics, all of that stuff. So did that come up to the top of, uh, you know, of the future plans of the CIOs? It is. And so if we take a look at the future plans, meaning going into 2021, and by the way, this is not necessarily a 2021 discussion, it's a 2021-2022 discussion, because some of the issues we're seeing with pandemic might continue, obviously, into uh, first half of 2021. And so some of these things may get delayed more. But what came up and one of the conversations we're going to have with the CIOs at the beginning of 2021 is in regards with advanced analytics and data governance. So that has uh, been delayed a little bit, but they're very much interested in that. Think about um, the uh, uh, COVID pandemic and how much advanced analytics rather than retrospective analytics could have helped them in both patient flow uh, analysis as well as supply chain issues that they, they had with PPEs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, patient engagement technologies such as uh, using AI or other uh, gaming technologies to engage with patients for patient education, et cetera, et cetera. Those are going to be uh, coming up as uh, top priorities for them going in the future. So I'm setting a whole lot of legacy applications. What kind of... Um technologies for patient engagement like texting applications for post-acute care do, do you have did you get some feedback on how because everybody speaks the language you know we've got to make a patient-centered environment we got to do patient engagement but i uh you know i've not seen uh how that's actually been activated so uh did they go through some of the ideas they had around improving patient engagement they do, and as I mentioned, they, they use, uh, for example, several different sources. Um, uh, they, some of the organizations we talked with have used um, uh, gaming algorithms and gaming technologies to be able to engage the patient for patient education. So what do you do when you get home after a surgery? What do you do prior to your surgery, et cetera? And these are very easy to use processes that they can use with their uh, uh, cell phones or their uh, laptops or whatever at home to be able to come in and, and, and get educated. They use AI to actually be able to tell um, whether a patient could be in more danger or less danger in coming into a surgery or post-surgery, et cetera, or uh, post-treatment or pre-treatment. They also are using a lot of uh, Bluetooth devices. Some of our healthcare organizations that we talk with tend 
a care package prior to patient coming into the hospital or post or after while they're leaving the hospital. And these Bluetooth devices connect up to their uh, through Bluetooth to their uh, uh, cell phones, and they can record their um, heart rate and other uh, pertinent information uh, back to the hospital. So there's all kinds of different uh, technologies that are being used, and I think that's that's one thing we're going to see uh, accelerating. Interesting. So, so this doesn't mean that value-based care is off the table. It's all, it's, there's still in pop health, you know, those were the big ticket items um, 18 months ago. And those are still out there. They just, uh, it's, it's just something that's behind the other priorities or what, what was the sense from how uh, you, you got responses on that? Yes, great, great uh, point. Uh, in fact, what it does is actually allows us finally, some of these changes finally allows us to be able to make the migration to value-based care and be able to manage population health. And and in fact, promote interoperability uh, through the mechanisms um, that we're implementing now, much better than the promote interoperability program that was rolled out by the government. That one actually did not take hold uh, prior to pandemic, and in fact, it actually caused some challenges during pandemic because we didn't have good interoperability. We didn't have good connection with external sources, and 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 now we're seeing platforms such as Google and SaaS and others that are coming into actually leveraging these data lakes and data sources out there to be able to connect the dots together. So that is what was needed for the value-based care for pop health and for interoperability. This is why I think the CIOs are also interested in sunsetting a lot of these older systems that they have and uh, and then streamlining kind of the environment that they're working in because they know where they're going is not like where they is is not at all like where they have been. Okay, good. Okay, so now let's get into um, how all this is kind of bubbled up into what you think is going to happen uh, next year, the three trends that are shaping up to be a big transformational year next year. What are those trends and how are they gonna impact the industry? Right, so we talked a lot about so far, we talked a lot about a lot of the tactical items, I mean, meaning that these were either forced or we are dealing with them today. We have been dealing with them before, but we just kind of accelerated some of them like telehealth and cloud migration, et cetera. So what I wanted to talk a little bit more about is that how are these, from a broad-based perspective, going to impact the industry as a whole, not, and not just necessarily CIO, obviously this has a major impact in the CIO operation, but the industry as a whole, and I think even though we're talking about transformational year, what's coming, uh, 2020 being transformational year, what's coming in 2021 and 2022 is actually going to dwarf the uh, scale of telehealth rollout that we had today. And here's what I mean. When we, talk, when we talk about advanced technologies, such as advanced analytics and artificial intelligence, RPA, robotic process automation, and, and wearable devices that we just talked about, there is going to be a tremendous push towards all of these going in the future. Because what we saw was that we were doing less than 5%, definitely less than 10% telehealth visits prior now we're at about 40, 50%, and we're going to maintain that going forward. Well, if you're maintaining that, then that means that your wearable devices, your uh, advanced analytics, and uh, 
other uh, process automations are going to be absolutely critical because the patients are going to be coming in from a variety of different sources and locations and you need to have access to their uh, information. In the advanced analytics, for example, one of the things that uh, I was talking to um, um, some folks over at Google, one of the things that they're looking into doing is looking at data sources that are not necessarily just healthcare data sources. They're looking at weather patterns. They're looking at travel patterns. They're looking at so many different uh, information to be able to actually predict patient uh, inflows for emergency departments or for COVID tracking, et cetera. This is what they're doing in all other industries. Now they're beginning to bring those types of technologies into that. And these uh, technologies combined with the interoperability that we're going to put uh, in place is finally going to be able to move us to the value-based care, which we have been having difficulty actually moving. We always thought that the value-based care move required our, our financial organization to be ready for it. Of course it does. But that's just a, a small portion of it. What we needed to do is be able to move to value-based care is to be able to manage patients' life cycle as a whole and their habits and the informa other information that might be impacting them. And that's where the value-based care finally can make actually sense to the organization. So that's one of the, one of the areas we see tremendous improvement over the next uh, couple of years. So, it, ironically, the COVID pandemic helped accelerate this trend to value-based care is one of the things that you're saying. That's exactly right. And the interoperability. <laughs> <laughs> and the interoperability. Yeah, there's a silver lining in all of this, right? That's one of them. Okay, so that's one. So that's advanced uh, technologies. What, what, what else? So we also, as, as we talked about, we're also seeing operational transformation. So we've always dabbled in optimizing our IT operations, reducing costs and getting rid of some old applications through application rationalization, et cetera. Um, and, you know, obviously the uh, CIO's reaction to COVID was, was remarkable. They were able to uh, uh, roll out this program in a very quick amount of, uh, amount of time. However, we are now seeing some of the scalability opportunities coming into the CIO or being introduced to CIOs. So our incremental approaches to cloud migration, not adopting managed services, et cetera, was okay. However, this is going to, as I mentioned, the advanced technologies and some of those are going to actually force them to take a look at uh, operations in a totally different way. Now, I'm not talking about completely outsourcing everything, but those can be some of the options that are available to them. Um, a few years ago, when I was at Dow Chemical, when we talked about that, um, we had a visit with TPNG. Uh, now, we were a $70 billion company. They were a $225 billion company. So they were a little bit bigger than that. And uh, the CIO organization was the CIO and 11 other lieutenants that, that he had. They had outsourced all 5,000 uh, resources to HP at the time, and uh, they were managing it based on key metrics and uh, KPIs and SLAs, et cetera. Now, that's a dramatic shift, and I'm not necessarily advocating that, but I think we're going to see that because, you know, think about, as I mentioned, the advanced technologies, but also the cost of, for example, managing the cybersecurity environment. That is not only going out of the, you know, in, in the stratosphere, but it's also becoming more and more difficult for the CIOs to be able to continue managing and maintaining that. Well, as you start looking into these types of things and the scale that you need to operate at, 
and the fact that if you're offering offering telehealth services, it is, it is no longer just necessarily limited to the 50-mile radius or 100-mile radius. You could have patients from anywhere now. This opens up the doors and the scale to a very different level. And I think that we're going to see major partnerships with key players in the market and the CIOs and the healthcare organizations going forward. Hmm. So it's not simple. Uh, what, what I hear you saying, it's not simple outsourcing uh, in the traditional way that we've looked at, but major partnerships where you would look much more holistically at how you source your services and whether they're managed services for pieces as they make sense. And it could be a variety of, of services that you might draw from to complete your plan as a CIO. 100%. Is that what you're saying? 100%. This is a very dynamic uh, ecosystem. And it is not as simple as the outsourcing. And it is not as simple as co-sourcing either. It is a, um, these are service providers. There are going to be service providers that come in and that specialize in those key areas. And those are the major partnerships. In some cases, by the way, the health organizations might actually create some of those uh, companies and environments, just like HCA did with my my company, Seracor. We They created Seracor and we provide some of these key services to our healthcare um, clients. Yeah, and perhaps uh, we'll see all kinds of combinations of, um, of uh, business relationships like that. But it is, when you think about it, it's a dramatic change to the way most provider organizations have been managed to go to such a flexible arrangement. It's a big change. And one that started the ball, I think, the, uh, of course, the, uh, the uh, cloud migration started the ball rolling on that because you had no local resources with cloud experience. You had to go to the third party. And then as they started building their services stack, more and more was on the offing for being outsourced. So the and what you're saying is, hey, guys, it's just getting started. You're going to see uh, operational transformations that are on a whole different scale. So that's that's very interesting. In fact, to that point, Paul, the uh, cloud migration is a very good example of it. So think about who are some of the big cloud migration uh, or cloud providers, right? Uh, Google Platform, uh, Amazon, uh, AWS. Uh, and uh, Microsoft uh, Azure platform, and all mm -hmm. three of them are major players in the healthcare now, and they are doing all kinds of interesting things, which brings me to the sort of the third trend that we see, and this is probably the most transformational one. And so we talked about the M&A activities accelerating, and we definitely think that's going to accelerate. We just saw the news about Sanford and Intermountain Health joining to create a 70-plus hospital healthcare system. Again, another big, big player there. There is a payer part, uh, part to this uh, uh, merger as well. And by the way, we're seeing that accelerated. So payers are buying provider space and providers are buying payers. And so that's going to be one. But we're also seeing retail pharmacies, which is a CVS and Walgreens getting into it. But not only that, Amazon mm -hmm. and Berkshire, we've seen that. We've seen Walmart providing uh, so far, they're in five or six markets, but they're going to, uh, you know, roll that out very quickly, providing health programs, insurance options at at incredibly low cost, and uh, and and then we 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 just saw Sam's Club offer a one dollar per telehealth visit for a thirty three dollars a quarter membership, and so incredible changes that are coming at us, and at the end of the day. These changes are going to, by the way, be really good for our industry. It's going to be a bumpy ride uh, for the CIOs, but it is going to be a good news. We're going to improve the healthcare uh, outcomes. 
we're going to lower the cost uh, and and this is where I think uh, the CIOs need to be ready to not only be the healthcare CIOs, but be a retail CIO, be a payer side CIO. So that's going to change their world dramatically. So it seems to me this is one of the most difficult parts for your clients to understand and manage because it seems so chaotic. I mean, when you, when you, you know, I think there's been a lot of exposure to some of the advanced technologies you're talking about. There's been a good understanding on the part of CIOs about what uh, the advanced analytics are and what the options are, although that's involving and in some of the other device stuff, because it's been a couple of years since that discussion has started. And then the operational transformations, I think one of the bread and butter of most CIOs is figure out structure and scale and uh, uh, operational leverage. But new players with new brand new business models completely um, disruptive to uh, a CIO, then they really have to come in at the level with a CEO to discuss these kinds of things. These are not made in isolation as a technology decision. These are business decisions. So so um, when you are talking about, you know, offering a dollar visit, I mean, who's the partner there? You know, there's all kinds of business opportunities around that. I'm not saying that it's just a competitive question. I'm saying that that um, this is very, I think it's very difficult, don't you? The CIOs understand even the competitive environment and what's coming and what the themes are and how to either partner or to compete. That's exactly right, Paul. In fact, when I was talking about a second um, trend that I see in operational transformation, uh, and I talked about partnership, major partnerships, and the reason was that CIOs need to get these tactical items off their table, handed off to the partners to go run with those optimization and transformational items, so they can concentrate on more of these strategic ones because they have to be the business uh, executive uh, at the table with the CEO to help the organization determine how do you compete with a dollar of telehealth visit with Sam's Club in your area. How do you compete with uh, Amazon and Walmart and others that are coming in? How do you compete with CVS and Walgreens that are putting in, you know, um, devices or, or, or uh, you know, health uh, providing, you know, some of those services, same services that, that the hospitals are providing? How do you compete with that? And there are good ways to do it, but you need to be thinking strategically. You need to get the tactical stuff off your plate. And unfortunately, we see a lot of the CIOs that have comfort in that because that's what they know. And so this is going to put them in a little bit of a discomfort zone. But again, the resiliency of our CIOs that what we've seen and what, how we've seen them uh, tackle the telehealth gives me great hope that they can actually uh, not only survive, but also thrive in this new environment. They just have to know that this is going to be a new environment. Right. And originally, you know, you and I are both old enough to remember the original invention of the CIO title was because you wanted somebody at the table with the other C-level executives that could talk business. Now you're finally getting to the point where this is really important to have a CIO who can talk business because you do finally you are at the, at the seat on the table where you've got to discuss these things and you've got to be able to hold that level of conversation. And I've always wondered um, whether the CIOs uh, that you and I have known over the years were ready for that or whether this is going to engender a new, new, new crop of CIOs that are tech savvy and business savvy. It seems to me that we're going to have a great transformation in the type of CIO we're going to have in the future. What are your thoughts on that? 
No, I agree. I think it definitely it is going to breed a new uh, group of CIOs that are going to be coming in and, and thinking much more strategically. But it also think about, you know, all the other roles that have been created, like chief innovation officer and and uh, a chief medical information officer and chief nursing information officer. I think we've created some of these other positions to actually enhance and help the CIOs actually uh, push some of the boundaries because um, uh, it, you know they they have been so they have been so mired with all the tactical stuff, all the operational stuff, that they had no time to uh, check on positions to see how well they're uh, adopting to this new AHR environment. They had no time to go become more strategic. So now by creating some of those, we were already on our way. I think we're going to be uh, cresting that. Now again, some of the CIOs will not make that transition, and you and I know that. We've we've, we've known some of them. Are, mm -hmm. Some of them are good friends of mine. And I, and I think that's probably uh, part of it. But I also think that many of them will make a transition. And I think, the, to your point, I think there's a whole crop of new CIOs that are coming in. Take a look at the CIO at, uh, at uh, Duke Healthcare, for example. He's a physician. And so he's a new breed of uh, CIOs that are coming about. And we see that all the time, that are people that are coming in, not necessarily from IT background, but uh, medical or business backgrounds. Right. And it's also not just the CIO, the CEOs are uh, perhaps a little bit lost because they cannot imagine the new business models because they don't understand the technology well enough because that's not been their focus. And so I do think there um, that you're perhaps running into a gap that may or may not be filled by the CIO, right? So, it, I mean, otherwise, why are there consulting firms? So, so there are... Um, there's a brain trust and it may be within the organization. It may have to be recruited from outside of the organization in the form of consultants such as yourself or, or, um, or other thought leaders that can come in and help uh, build out the new business model. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think? Because it's just way too complicated and there are way too many options for any one individual to frame it all out. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, Paul, this is one of the reasons why I'm uh, actively uh, participating not only on HIMSS and CHIME, but I'm also on HFMA and ACHE um, forums and, and committees and working with CEOs and CFOs and chief operating officers, et cetera, because they have to be just as much educated in what does this transformation mean? How do their CEOs and I'm sorry, their CIOs need to behave going in the future? And so this is as much of an education for the C other C-suite members as it is for the CIOs. Excellent. Well, excellent conversation. It kind of brings me to the next uh, topic, which uh, before we wrap up uh, payment, can you give us uh, some insight as to uh, what Cercor does and um, that kind of what your group does? And then if people want to get a hold of you and connect with you, you know, what's the best way to do that for them to do that through email or on, on LinkedIn? I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Yeah, Seracor, as I mentioned, was born about 11 years ago. Uh, HCA, which is our parent company, actually created us and uh, basically handled us the application support. Uh, since then, we've grown to uh, have about 40 different uh, clients uh, in our portfolio. We manage over 300 hospitals and about 160,000 users in that. We have about 600 associates internal and we provide technical services in addition to application support. We provide technical services, staffing, and I run the advisory group. And uh, uh, definitely uh, would love to connect with uh, your listeners or others who want to have continued conversations. I am, I am on LinkedIn. 
not too many payment zans out there so you should be able to find it relatively easy but uh, also payment.zan at seracore.net is my email and feel free to email me i'm i'm probably on 724 so well, uh, payment, fascinating discussion. It's going to definitely take uh, a lot of imagination as well as confidence to, to navigate the future. Payment, thank you for joining us. Payment Zan, Vice President, Advisory Services for Sercor. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Paul. Thank you for listening to the Hymn SoCal podcast. This is Paul Butler, your host. Our sound engineer has been Callister Harmon. Mm-hmm.